there! You're listening to the Your Brain Uncovered podcast show with me, your host, Ayatollah Bin. So today we're going to be talking about one of the greatest mysteries of the mind, um, our little fantastic time machine. Uh, so yeah, it is memory. So have you ever thought of why is it that you tend to, you know, remember some things and forget others? Um, what is the relationship, you know, uh, of memory to consciousness, to our identity? Uh, where and how is memory even stored? Um, even how reliable is your own memory? I mean, there's so much to ask and so much to answer for. Um, you know, in a sense, there are two ways of looking at memory. There is the literary and the scientific. So in a liter- literary sense, there's me- memory is just meaning. Um, it's an exploration of the self, a subjective journey into the past uh but this is not what we're gonna fixate on in this episode we're gonna be uh fixated more on the analytical model which is where memory is subjected to you know neurological study psychological experiments and magnetic resonance imaging so yeah now memory is such an everyday thing that you know we tend to almost take it for granted we all remember what we had for breakfast this morning um what we did last weekend I'm guessing you remembered. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's only when memory starts to fail that we appreciate just how amazing it is and how much you know we allow our past experiences to define us. So yeah, memory's not um, always a good thing. Um, I mean, uh, there's a really nice saying by an American poet, and it's that as memory may be a paradise from which we cannot be driven, it may also be a hell from which we cannot escape. So yeah, many of us experience chapters in our lives that we would prefer to never have happened. Um, yeah, it's estimated, by the way, that um, nearly 90% of us will experience some sort of traumatic event during our lifetimes. Now, most of us will suffer acutely following these events and then recover, maybe even become better people because of those experiences. But some are like very extreme and they tend to lead to PTSD, also known as post-traumatic stress disorder. So PTSD is a debilitating mental health condition characterized by symptoms such as, you know, intense fear and anxiety uh, with, uh, you know, flashbacks of certain traumatic events. Now these symptoms have a huge impact on the person's quality of life and are often triggered by particular situations or cues in the person's environment. So the responses to those cues may have been adaptive, obviously when they were first learned, you know, um, but in PTSD, they kind of continue to control behavior even when it's no longer appropriate. So yeah, that's quite unfortunate. Now, um, you know, I should, I kind of should stop myself here because I'm talking about memory as if it's a single thing. It isn't, you know, there are many different types of memory and these depend upon different circuits and regions within the brain. So yeah, there are two major distinctions in our types of memory. Uh, there are those memories that we're consciously aware of, where we know we know and um that we can pass on in words you know Uh, this would include memories for facts and events because we can declare these memories we refer to them as declarative memories now the other type of memory is non-declarative these are memories where we often don't have conscious access to the content content of those memories and that we can't pass on in words so yeah um the classic example is of 
you know, a motor skill. So how is it that you ride a bike? Uh, you know, um, if I asked you to write a list of instructions on uh, for you to teach me how to ride a bike, um, that would take you a while. <laughs> Um, so yeah, now getting back to PTSD, uh, it's another type of non-declarative memory and it's uh, known as an emotional memory. Now this has a specific meaning in psychology and refers to our ability to learn about cues in our environment and their emotional and motivational significance. So what do I mean by that? Well, um, I think of a cue like the smell of baking bread, you know? Um, think of a more abstract cue like um a 20 pound note okay uh, because these cues have been pegged with good things in the past you know we like to approach them um yeah who doesn't like money and bread but other cues like for example um an electric shock you know you know, do you remember those toys you used to play with where you would shock your friend with a, a piece of fake gum um, I don't know if you've had such a childhood, but yeah, so something like that can elicit very negative emotions and um, yeah, quite some avoidant behavior in people. Um, so yeah, I can tell you that for a fact because whenever I see a piece of gum, I flinch. <laughs> so yeah, now um, what I can give you are, um, so I have a flinching reaction, right? Um, because of that non-declarative uh, memory but what i can give you is my non-declarative emotional state so i can um i can tell you that this memory um uh kind of elicits uh, you know unwanted feelings in me but i can't give you my racing heart my sweaty palms and you know that little rising sense of anxiety inside of me um i can describe them to you but i can't give them to you so yeah now, importantly, from the perspective of PTSD, which is more severe, uh, stress has very different effects on declarative and non-declarative memories, and the brain circuits and regions supporting them obviously are affected differently. So, emotional memory is supported by, um, how do I say this, a small almond-shaped structure that's called the amygdala and its connections. Um, yeah, declarative memory, memory especially uh, the what, where, and one of events um, is supported by a seahorse shaped region as i'd like to call it and it's known as uh, the hippocampus so yeah now the extreme levels of stress experienced during trauma have very different effects on these two structures um so yeah um as a for instance as a person's stress level increases um, from not stressful to slightly stressful, the hippocampus starts acting to support the event memory. Um, it increases in activity and works better to support the storage of a declarative memory. But um, with an increase to you know of a mo of moderate stress to extreme stress, uh, such as the one in trauma, the hippocampus practically shuts down. Uh, this means that under high levels of stress um experienced during trauma we're not storing details the specific details of you know what where and when 
Now, while stress is doing that to the hippocampus, um, it's doing something else to our little small uh, almond-shaped amygdala. So uh, yeah, that structure uh, is important for the emotional non-declarative memory. Its activity simply just gets stronger and stronger. So what this leaves us with in PTSD is an overly strong emotional, in this case fear, memory that is not tied to a specific time or place because the hippocampus is not storing where, when, and what. In this way, these cues can control behavior when it's no longer appropriate, and that's how they become maladaptive. So, yeah, if, if we know that PTSD is due to maladaptive memories, how can we, you know, use this knowledge to improve the lives of people suffering from it? Have you ever thought of that? Has it crossed your mind? Um, well, there are many radical new approaches um, being developed, but I've, I've managed to just make a little synthesis of some of the most, you know, effective ones. Um, all right, so now if we were to go back, you know, to the nuts and bolts of this traditionally, it was thought that making a memory was like writing in a, you know, a note back, uh, a notebook in a, you know, um, in a little backpack of yours. You just bring it up, write it down, scribble it close and move on with your life um yeah so it was thought that all those structural changes that happen in the brain to um you know support the storage of memory are just finished within hours of the actual event um and yeah that's the view on consolidation which is in fact not really what science has proven recently so um yeah um memories are constantly being edited um reconstructed really there's an uh, editing process happening at all times you know um so yeah now most progress has been made on uh, the aspect of how information is deleted from memory and um there was this um, drug that was you know discovered and it's um it was it was widely prescribed to control blood pressure in humans uh it's a beta blocker um, so yeah, they've discovered that you can use it to prevent the reconsolidation of your memories. Now, that only happened in rats <laughs> um, at, at the beginning stage. So yeah, now it's called uh, propranidol and it was given uh, while the memory was in edit mode to rats and uh, they noticed that they stopped behaving with fear uh, after a frightening trigger cue. Um, it was as if they had never learned to be afraid of that cue. And so, yeah, this was um, a drug that was uh, safe in rats, and then it was later on proven to be safe in humans. Um, so, yeah, and um, it, 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 it's like fascinatingly, not only did it help uh, destroy few memories in humans, but critically, it worked on the editing mood of a memory. So, um, yeah, now, um, how is it that, you know, uh, it makes what, what's the mechanism behind it how is it that it makes the memory so unstable how is it that they get into you know edit mode uh so um there has been fascinating work being done on this a lot of research and uh, um they figured that it depends on introducing some but not too much new information to be incorporated into the memory so um they know about the different chemicals the brain uses to signal a memory and uh, you know how um they you can call a file is updated and edited um so uh yeah by working on that um you kind of get a permanent change 
Um, so yeah, now although um, this memory destroying approach does hold um, you know great promise, that's not to say that it's not controversial. Because think about it th this way: is it really ethical to destroy memories? You know, uh, what about things like eyewitness testimonies? Um, yeah, I, I mean, well, with respect to ethics and eyewitness testimony, I would say that the important point to remember is the findings from that, like, you know, from the collection of human studies, because um, this specific drug is only acting on the non-declarative emotional memory. And so it seems unlikely to be of you know uh, of ethical controversy because uh, eyewitness testimonies is dependent on declarative memory. I mean, that's just a matter of uh, opinion here. I'd like to boldly state that. So yeah, essentially what these memory destroying treatments are aiming to do is to reduce the emotional memory, not to you know get fully rid of the trauma memory altogether. So yeah, this should make the response of those with PTSD more like those who have been through trauma and not developed PTSD. Um, so yeah, not just people who have never experienced trauma in the first place. No, it's not like that. Um, so yeah, it, it should be you know an ethically uh, acceptable treatment. Um, and that's kind of aimed at uh, creating a not so spotless mind, but one that one can bear. So uh, yeah, now um, I, I really hope you know uh, this has given you a little insight on um, some of the most interesting work being done in neuropharmacology and um, it's just made you reflect a little on that strange little aspect of memory that we have, you know, um, yeah. Um, it, 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 would, it would really make sense to um, dive into the, you know, little bits and aspects of this fantastic time machine that we have um, and try to, you know, um, improve it one way or another. Oh, well, thank you so much for listening to my episode. I'll be talking to you very soon. And please don't forget to leave me a review wherever you find my podcast uh, show. And yeah. Thank you for your interest in science. Bye.